Radio. This is your host, Trevor Kuritsen. As always, we got Steve Smee checking in. Yes, we do. And um, I'm very jealous of you, Trevor, because I heard the news that you're going on a 10-day vacation outside the country. So, uh, no, 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 no. How is it that Canadians are always taking vacations? You got to explain that one to me. I got to move to Canada. It's a work trip, man. It's not, it's not a vacation. I actually... I don't even want to go like deep traveling for work is exhausting, dude. Like just packing up and going to the airport and then flying anywhere. It, like flying to the U S from Canada is a pain in the ass. Cause you have a layover. So tomorrow's like, I'm going to be in the airport for 10 hours. Like it's not, this isn't me going to Mexico and laying on a beach. This is me going to California for work. Oh, so you're going to California and they're paying for it. Right. Well, yeah, they're we're, we're supposed to feel sorry for you. What part of California? Any anyone who travels for work knows what I'm going through. It's not. It's fun the first time, and then it's it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> so uh, we have some really cool topics. So the first one we kind of get into, and this one's for you, Trevor, because you're in the medical field. So you gotta, you gotta figure this one out. Um, you gotta put kind of two and two together on this one because it's a really weird situation. But there was this hockey player in upstate New York, over close to where you are over there in Quebec, up there in upstate New York, right close to the Canadian border. He was a hockey player and he was a minor league hockey player. So semi-pro and he was in his like mid twenties. So he plays the hockey game. Then after the hockey game, um, one of the fans meets him and they kind of hit it off so they end up getting together and they get married they have two kids boy and a girl so then uh, probably maybe eight years later he you know retires from hockey starts his own successful business and he becomes an entrepreneur makes a lot of money and what happens was someone while he was going to a poker game one night Someone broke into the house and murdered his wife and the two kids were at home. So it took them some time to kind of figure it out, but it turns out that he hired someone, one of his employees to go kill his wife in the middle of the night. He, he told, he got, showed the employee how to get into the house. He showed the employee everything and the layout of the house. So they had everything planned he had uh, collect wanted to collect a million dollar insurance policy from her, but here's the kicker: the guy who he hired was supposed to burn the house down, and the sick thing about it was the kids were supposed to be in the house. So the guy actually, after he kills the wife, hears a little girl, you know, crying, "Mommy, mommy," and he does doesn't have the heart to burn the house down, so he just takes off and he leaves the kids. So. You have to explain this one to me, Trevor, because I'm kind of, you know, my faith in humanity gets really screwed up when I hear stories like this. What goes on in someone's mind to not just murder their wife, 
but then want their two little kids to be killed in a fire like that, just so he can walk away with a million dollars. And let me add this to it too. He was cheating on his wife during the whole marriage with various women because they came forward after this happened. So tell me, because you're in the medical industry, what goes on in people's minds to want to do stuff like this? This is a question that, you know, everyone is, has, has wondered about, you know, it, we're basically asking why do horrible things happen? And, and from a religious standpoint, you know, we're God's people living in the devil's world. Um, we all have free will. So we have the, the free will to do whatever we want. Um, I don't know, man, maybe this guy was on some antipsychotics, which really got rid of his psych, uh, um, his conscience. Um, I, I he, wasn't. he was an upstanding person in the community. The person he went to that night for the poker game, after the police questioned them, the guy was like, ha, he was laughing. He was like, he, this guy would never do something like that. Uh, dude, we're talking about a professional hockey player, a successful businessman. He wasn't just some crazy person. He was a normal guy, you know, in the community, you know. So it wasn't one of those situations. But, the, you know, is it greed is it, you know, I don't want to be married. I don't want to be a father. Like, what is it? Like, what is it that you think? Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, people will justify the most horrible things to themselves for whatever reason. Maybe he thought, you know, I want to get out of this marriage. I don't know how else to do it. This is the only way that, that I can do it without destroying my reputation. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. It, it's a sick situation. Um, he obviously justified it somehow in order to have actually gone through with it. Um, maybe that's what he was thinking. Maybe he was thinking he deserved the money. Maybe he's thinking, you know, like he was entitled to it. I don't know, man. Why do, why do people go on a plane and, and hijack it and kill a bunch of innocent people? Like it's, your guess is as good as mine. Like, I don't know. I think I think it was I think it was simple, you know. He just didn't want to be a father and didn't want to be a husband, so he did the cowardly act instead of divorcing his wife and giving full custody to her and paying child support for the next, you know, fifteen years or whatever in alimony. He said, "You know what? Let me just go ahead and kill her and walk away with a million dollar life insurance, and I don't have to worry about the kids anymore. And go out, you know, be with all these women and stuff." He was, you know, being selfish. And it was a it was a money thing, so like it's it just shows you in humanity like how selfish human beings are capable of being. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really don't know, but that that explanation makes sense. Um, if you really believe something enough, you'll find a justification for it, and you'll find rationale for it, like. They did a study and then like something like 30% of people in the hospital were actually perfectly fine, but because they convinced themselves they were sick and they keep telling themselves, oh, I have these symptoms, I have these symptoms, you'll actually physically feel the symptoms. And there's like, they've, they've done other studies where they've said, you know, hey, we're, we're testing um, a low fat ice cream, right? So we're gonna give you the full fat ice cream and then we're going to give you the low-fat ice cream and tell, tell us how close the low-fat ice cream is, right? So they'll give a person ice cream A, then there'll be like a 30-minute washout period will ask them to 
you know, uh, gargle some water and then let their taste buds regenerate and everything. And then they'll give them the ice cream B and say, you know, rate both of them on a scale of one to 10. And every person will say, oh, okay, ice cream one was like a nine out of 10. And then ice cream two was like a seven out of 10, right? Like, like the ratings will vary from person, but they'll all say the first ice cream was better, but the second ice cream was slightly worse. And they'll say, you know, but for a low calorie alternative is pretty good. They gave them the exact same ice cream. But because they told them it's a low-fat alternative we're trying to develop, they automatically assumed it was worse, right? And same thing, like there's been so many companies who were selling a premium condiment or whatever, and it was identical to the, to the no-name brand, like absolutely identical. But because you paid more for it, you would assume it's a better quality product. Like, and food companies are terrible for this, right? have almonds in really really nice packaging and it, it looks like like some supreme almond right then you'll have just generic almonds in, in, in crappy packaging exact same farm but because that almond came in nicer packaging people will rate that it tastes better is fresher um things like that so yeah like, like the placebo effect it's a little bit more than the placebo effect it's no. more if you really believe in the ideology, your brain will actually have physical symptoms to reinforce that ideology. It's almost like religion. Yeah, like some some religion, like or politics. When uh, you know, like when the Nazis were brainwashing people, that's what they would do, right? Like if you get indoctrinated with these with these images, day over day, night over night, eventually you believe it. And then you, you think you're doing the right thing, right? Like a lot of not. So it sounds like this guy, Trevor, just he kept visualizing this and, 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 and believing, hey, you know, I can just get rid of my wife, get rid of my kids and move on to a happy life and get away with it. And he ended up actually doing it. It started out with maybe a thought and kind of progressed. It sounds like this has been building up for years from, from what you're saying. But yeah. let, me ask, let me ask you this before we move on to the next topic. If you're in the wife's situation and you survive that, would you forgive her? If she hired someone to kill you and the, it didn't go properly and you, you survived, would you forgive her? Okay, so so this, this is another um, thing where I'll give the, the Christian answer because I identify as a Christian. So I would forgive that person but I would also remember their actions, right? So let's say a child molester wants to come to church with me. Absolutely. Bring him. I don't judge. I'm not perfect. Whatever he did in the past, he's, he's trying to better himself. Um, absolutely. Come to church with me. I'd love, I'd love for you to come to church with me. Now, let's say that person wants to volunteer in the children's ministry. Absolutely not. You know, I just don't want to give him that temptation knowing his past. So if this person tried to kill me, would I forgive them? Yes. Would I give them my phone number? No. Would I let them know where I live? No. Right. So I, I would tell that person, Hey, you're forgiven. Um, I'm not sure what caused you to do such a, an outrageous thing, but just for my own well-being, you cannot know where I live. You cannot know my contact information. You cannot know what I do for work or anything like that, but I forgive you and I wish you all the best in life. If I tried to kill you, You'd forgive me, but we couldn't do this podcast anymore. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, technically, we can still do it because, like, we don't have to be in person. It's fine. 
as long as like I use like an encrypted email to send you the the schedule. And everything. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, so next topic, guys: do's and don't on a first steroid cycle. So why don't we do it like this first? Why don't you first go? Um, how old were you when you first used it? What did you use? What did you screw up on your first cycle? And then I'll, I'll say my first experience and then we can kind of go into um, how to improve on our mistakes. So these are the three biggest mistakes I see people make. One, being too young. If you're under 25, it's just not a good idea. As a man, you go through puberty until the age of 25. Yes, you finish growing structurally and physically at about 21, 22, but your brain keeps developing until about the age 24, 25. So if you use steroids before that time, it'll prevent your body from going through puberty naturally, and it'll prevent your HPTA from fully developing. So you'll actually shoot yourself in the foot because you'll have lower testosterone levels as a baseline later on in life. So number one, most people are too young. So if you're less than 25, don't think about it. You're going to end up regretting it later on in life. I promise you. Number two, they don't have a good enough base. If you haven't been training at least two years, and I mean two years is the absolute minimum, don't even think about using steroids. I mean, it's just, it, you can still make so much progress naturally, right? So maximize how much progress you can make naturally. Once you hit a plateau, then use steroids. If you look at the people who get the most or their first cycle, They've been training like five years naturally, but first they have built a really, really good base. They know how to eat and train. And then when they add in the steroids, it's like pouring gasoline on open fire because they already know how to build muscle naturally and the steroids just enhance that effect. The third mistake I see people make is they're just too fat. Um, if you're a very high body fat, it's going to put a lot of strain on your organs using steroids steroids put a lot of stress on your cardiovascular system just to begin with and then if you're at a high body fat it's just a recipe for disaster and then also the higher body fat the more testosterone aromatizes into estrogen so i see a lot of guys at a high body fat run steroids and they end up with gyno so if you meet the age requirement if you meet the training requirement i would wait until your body fat is 12 percent or under before doing a steroid cycle and what did you do the first time you ran yours? That was a mistake. So basically, those are the don'ts. Steve, you talk about the do's. <clears throat> well, I want to talk about my first steroid cycle mistakes I made. Um, <clears throat> the first steroid cycle I did, right off the bat, the first injection I did, I kind of was back and forth because I remember it was 250 milligrams of uh, you know, testosterone it was sustenin because my dealer at the time didn't have any testosterone. So I had to use sustenin, which is fine. It's the same thing, you know, just four esters. So I was kind of back and forth on how much to inject. And I thought, you know, I'm supposed to inject, okay, one CC of this stuff to make 250 milligrams. But I kind of like confused myself. Then it changed. Okay. Maybe I'm supposed to inject two CCs. And then I went back to say, no, it's supposed to be one CC, then two CC. So I ended up injecting two CCs into my delts, which is 500 milligrams all in one shot. But I really meant to just do 250 milligrams, but I just completely talked myself out of what I had correct, you know, correctly calculated mathematically of how much that one injection was. So let me tell you something. The post-injection pain was so bad, like my shoulder for like one week hurt it was red it was like inflamed 
virgin muscle, 500 milligrams of sustenance, which with which you typically for a lot of people has PIP. That's a huge mistake. You don't want to inject a large amount into a virgin muscle like I did. And then always double check, you know, your math. Make sure you're injecting the right amount. Make sure you're taking the right amount. I would say the other mistake I made was I planned the cycle out too well. Like I literally got a calendar and I put down, I'm supposed to do this this day, this injection this day, this oral this day, this injection this day, this oral this way. I planned it all out so perfectly that it ended up being counterproductive because what ends up happening is, is you don't listen to your body. Like if your things aren't going well or you're having too many side effects or you're having insomnia or you're having too much water retention, you have to adjust things as you go. So it's good to have a blueprint always, but it's also a good idea to be flexible is, is, the, is the correct word. And don't be afraid to kind of adjust things as you go along because I was taking too much gear and not enough aromatase inhibitor. So what ended up happening is I was getting way too much water retention, way too much estrogen. And I could have, you know, developed gyno from that, but I had, was very lean on my first cycle. So that probably prevented me from getting more serious problems. So I got very, very lucky on my first cycle, but anyone who tells you they don't fuck up their first cycle and they could have done it something differently is probably lying to you. Because there's always stuff you can do differently. Do you have any do's that you want to throw in? Okay, so I want to build on what you said because it was really good. A do is have a plan, but have a flexible plan, right? So let's say your plan was to do 12 weeks, and then at 10 weeks, you're just feeling run down. Don't finish your cycle to 12 weeks. You know, stop it at 10. So we see guys all the time. They're, they were going to do a 16-week cycle at 12 weeks. They're getting a lot of side effects. They don't feel good. Like, I really don't want to do another four weeks. Well, then don't, you know what I mean? Like have a plan and it's good to have a plan, but don't have anything written in stone, right? Listen to your body. At the same time, it's important to have a plan because I always get this question, you know, someone will be eight weeks into their cycle and their buddy will give them a bottle of this for free and they'll say, oh, should I add this in? It's like, well, well, no, that wasn't part of your original plan. Just because your buddy gave it to you for free doesn't mean you just throw in some extra stuff that's not needed. So that's why I like having a plan, you know, and and stick to the plan, but then also listen to your body. So I think that's a pretty good outline for the do's and don'ts of the first cycle. And then last thing, do's, always do your homework. Don't depend on a friend. It's kind of a do and a don't. One more thing, one more thing. Have your PCT on hand. So another big mistake is someone's going to do a 12-week cycle, so they just buy their gear. And they're thinking like, well, I'm not going to need my PCT for three months. Yes, but remember all this stuff is underground, right? So let's say uh, you're doing a 12-week cycle, 10 weeks go by and you want to order your stuff for your PCT and you contact your source and they say, hey, we're out of Clomid and Novadex. I'm sorry. Well, well, now you're kind of screwed. So don't start your cycle until you have everything on hand. So that's another really good piece of advice. Don't listen to friends. Do do your own homework. At the end of the day, it's your body. It's not your friend's body. It's not your source's body. It's your body. And a lot of times, sources, they're just dealing steroids, okay? They're not experts on this stuff. People get that misconception for some reason. Like, is there any job? Like, if you go to a car dealership and you want to buy a car, 
Do you really think that dealer that's selling you the car is an expert on that car? I bet you that you know more about a vehicle, a Honda or a BMW, Mercedes. You probably know more about that car than the dealer ever will. He's just a salesman. He's just trying to sell you the car so he can make a commission. He's not an expert on the car. So why don't you do your own homework? It's just like buying a car in that situation. You do your own homework. You look at the specs, you compare prices, then you go in armed with information, and then that's why you won't get fucked over. But, and then another thing, listening to friends, your friends don't know what they're doing, okay? Because a friend that knows what they're doing wouldn't be telling you to use this or use that. Would I ever tell my friend to use this steroid or this, that steroid? Of course not. Trevor would never do that. Now, if someone hires us for advice on this stuff and wants us to coach them or consult them on this stuff, that's different. That's a stranger. You're paying me to provide you a service. But I have nothing to gain from advising a friend that you should take this or take that. So anyone who tells you advice on steroids like that, a guy at the gym or some or buddy of yours or you know one of your homeboys or something, they don't really know. They don't not, they're not intelligent about this stuff. So, I mean, you've got to do your own homework on this stuff. Good All right, guys. Next question is, can you recommend a support supplement on cycle? And, um, you know, one of the best supplements that I've ever used and one that I always use on cycle is called N2Guard. I'm sure many of you have heard this. It's sold on Amazon or at N2BM.com. And N2Guard is a complete support supplement on cycle. It has a lot of excellent ingredients. You can pull up the ingredients list. It's not just a bunch of like, it's not a proprietary blend. It's not some, you know, ingredients with just like very tiny ass dosages. I mean, this, this thing, we're talking about like 30 different things in it. It's got vitamins, it's got minerals, it's got things like uh, CoQ10. It's got things like apple pectin and evening primrose oil, hawthorn bear, turmeric root, dandelion root. It's got stuff to protect your liver. It's got stuff for, for your heart, like red yeast rice. And, and um, it's got tutka, which is a complete organ support supplement. So it's amazing little um whoever put this formula together was a genius because they put just the right amount of ingredients all together and it's affordable so you definitely want to run into guard on cycle i always run between five and ten capsules depending on how harsh the cycle is and um, it makes a huge huge difference and when i run out of it and i keep my cycle going like after a week i'm like whoa something changed i feel I feel like shit, you know? So, and then I take, start taking the N2 guard again. And I feel so much better. How about you, Trevor? Okay. So just for full disclosure, need to build muscle.com does sponsor this podcast, but N2 guard is a product I do use and I do recommend to clients. Um, anyone who's hired me can vouch that, you know, I do actually recommend and endorse this product. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about supplement formulations. So I do this for a living. And certain ingredients are very, very expensive. Tudka, for example, is a very expensive ingredient. Chances are, if you listen to this podcast before, you've heard of you know common liberated supplements like milk thistle, NAC, Tudka, 
um, dandelion root, things like that. Dandelion root's cheap, milk thistle's cheap, max cheap, alpha-leopic acid's cheap. Most vitamins and minerals are pretty cheap. Tudka is very, very expensive. So what a lot of companies will do is they'll have a proprietary blend and they'll have Tudka in the proprietary blend, but they're only going to put in a trace amount. It's label dressing. So the average consumer looks at the label and goes, oh, there's Tudka in here. Great. You know, I read up on Tudka. I read some articles. This is exactly what I want. Well, that company's putting in like five milligrams of Tudka. That would be the equivalent of taking like a teaspoon of protein powder after your workout. So what's really good about N2Guard, and I mean, for whatever reason, if you don't want to use N2Guard, I'm, I'm encouraging you to, you know, really do your homework and read labels. Make sure there's no proprietary blend and make sure that it's actually listing the amount of each ingredient. An effective dosage of Tudka is about 300 milligrams, which is the amount in N2Guard. It actually helped formulate the product. So I know exactly what's in there. It's a very, very well developed product. All of the ingredients are in clinical dosages. So do your homework. You'll notice that, you know, N2Guard is fairly expensive. It's 80 bucks. But to buy, uh, you know, a 30-day supply of Tudka at 300 milligrams, that alone is going to cost you 40 to 50 bucks. So if you add up all the ingredients and you were to purchase them individually, it costs you much more than that. So just giving you guys some advice for purchasing supplements. That goes for all supplements, right? Really do your homework on ingredients. And if there's a really good ingredient, whether it be Coins MQ10, Tudka, um, whatever, make sure you're actually getting an effective clinical dosage of that ingredient. There's another uh, topic, because this has been coming up a lot too, because a lot of supplements that are out there, a lot of the all-in-one supplements, they do have different types of creatine. You have you know, the, the creatine HCI, the creatine mono, you have the creatine um, pyruvate, I believe it's pronounced, different creatine. So, you know, Trevor, you're, you're the supplement guy. You know, tell us what you think about um, people who say oh, all creatines are the same or people who say that, oh, it doesn't matter. Who, who's right on this? Okay, so everyone's kind of right. So when it really comes down to it, Creatine is creatine. Certain forms of creatine, like creatine hydrochlorate, creatine pyruvate, will be slightly more soluble in water. So it will give you a little bit better absorption. But if you want to go by the research, the majority of the clinical research was done on creatine monohydrate. So all of these new novel forms of creatine, they look better in paper, but there hasn't been an extensive amount of research done on it. So you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place is that creatine monohydrate There's over 500 clinical trials on it. It works. We know it works. You might get a little bit of water retention from it, but we know it works. There's no denying the fact it works. Now, when it comes to like creatine HCL, creatine pyruvate, they are theoretically more water soluble, which would make them have a better absorption in the human body. They'd get absorbed into the muscle better. Now, we don't, there's very, very little research on them because they're new forms of creatine. So does it actually translate into a real world effect? Hard to say. So as a betting man, what I would say is stick with monohydrate or use a blend, you know, use a monohydrate, HCL, pyruvate blend. That would be my opinion. And if you can find a decent blend, that would probably be the best option because then you have your base covered with a traditional monohydrate and then you also have the new novel forms of creatine, which theoretically could work even better. But they're basically all isomers of one another. So they all have the creatine molecule. 
and then what ester it's bound to is different. So with creatine monohydrate, the creatine monohydrate, the creatine molecule is bound to a monohydrate, where with creatine HCl, the creatine mono, the creatine molecule is bound to a hydrochloride molecule, right? So it's just what the creatine is bound to. But honestly, I would say they're all creatine when it really comes down to it. So I wouldn't lose sleep over it. One of my favorite creatines are ancient strength. Um, it's got 4,500 milligrams of monohydrate and it's got uh, 300 milligrams of ACL and then 150 of the pyruvate. So it's got best, best of all three worlds, you know? So nice thing about the, the two, you know, I'm lowered because they are so waterable soluble that, you know, they have a lot good uh, reinforcement for the mono. So you get, you get all there and it's, it's tablets. It's not like a mixture is, you know, I just want to say with the mixtures, this is why I hate the mixtures, because if you, if you look at the tub of creatine, you see from like GNC or Walmart, you'll always see like a bunch of crap, you know, it's, it's like, so they put flavor, uh, sweeteners and they put all this other crap in it. They put uh, stuff to make it look all pretty. They put like red 41 dye and all this shit because they want you when you mix it for it to look all pretty, you know, and change colors, you know, and, and then they want it to taste good so you can drink it, you know, with just some water. So, but do you really need to consume uh, red dye when you uh, drink something? No. Do you need to consume uh, sweeteners with your creatine? No. So just get the tablet form, get the ancient strength, you know, and, and just take the tablet. This way you don't have to taste it. You don't have to, you know, drink a whole cup of water uh, to, to get it down. And you don't have to worry about if it's water soluble or not. So it all makes sense. Um, you know, it's one of those examples where always check the ingredients, guys. It's all, it's all right there for you for a reason. And even then, a monohydrate will have a slightly bitter taste to it, but it's not terrible. I mean, if you were to add it into um, some oatmeal or you add it into like a protein shake or pre-workout, you wouldn't even notice it's there. So yeah, like getting a stay away from the the, the creatines that are full of artificial crap. Um, not just that, Steve. A lot of them have a bunch of sugar added. Like I've seen some creatine products that have like 15, 20 grams of sugar. Like it's. I said sweetener. That's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said artificial sweetener, but yes, yeah, so they'll use, they'll use both. They'll use artificial sweeteners and regular sweeteners. And the reason they do that is it bulks up the serving size, right? Because an effective grant, effective dosage of creatine for a man is five grams and for women it's three grams. But if you add 20 grams of sugar and then a bunch of flavoring and stuff, that's going to make the scoop 30 grams, right? So then when you buy this product, you have this big scoop and you think, oh crap, like this has got to be like super awesome, right? Like look at how big the scoop is. It's got to be doing a lot for me. Well, 80% of that scoop is just fillers. It's just crap. Yeah, so we just saved you guys hundreds of dollars in the past two topics for those of you who, who are purchasing supplements. So you're very, very uh, blessed to uh, have this uh, podcast. Plus, we may have saved you on the first topic, too, from being murdered one day by your spouse. Right, Trevor? Yeah, don't, don't marry ex-pro hockey players. I think we all learned that lesson. <laughs> all right, so the next one is... Uh, we talked about this on our last guest podcast with that doctor guy, and he, um, I think he really made some really, really good points, but we still see guys um, who just don't get the concept of that you can't just eat in a deficit and lose weight forever, or on the flip side, you can't just eat in a surplus and gain weight, gain weight forever. 
And one, one of the points I made on the forums, because, you know, 90% of people on the forums are, are going to say that, no, you just eat in a surplus, you're going to gain weight forever. You just eat in a deficit, you're going to lose weight forever. And the point I made to a guy is, look, if you're 200 pounds and you eat in a 500 calorie deficit every day, and as you lose weight, you continue to drop your calories where you're still in a 500 calorie deficit, in theory, you should lose, let's say, a pound a week or half a pound a week, whatever. So if you're 200 pounds, after 200 weeks, which is four years, you would weigh zero. And I asked that question on the forum. I'm like, if that theory is true, what you're saying, why doesn't that person weigh zero? And on the flip side, if you eat in a slight calorie surplus every day, say 500 or 1,000 calorie surplus, wouldn't you, after 200 weeks, four years, gain 200 pounds? So it doesn't make any sense if you just explain it like that. And I usually checkmate people right off the bat when I, when I say that. But, um, you know, this is a topic, again, like as much as I try to explain this to people, it, they don't just get it. So, you know, we're trying to kind of show you guys. So I, I recommend listening to the last guest podcast. Trevor, I'll, I'll let you chime in on this. Okay, so... I can't remember the name of the study off the top of my head, but the Nazis did a really fascinating study during the Second World War where they took Jews and they basically gave them starvation diets and they wanted to study metabolism. So I think they gave men 750 calories per day and they gave women 500 calories per day. And this was an 18th month trial. And they wanted to see how the metabolisms of these people changed by starving them. And again, this was probably the best trial we've ever had done on this topic because these people were prisoners, right? Like they, you basically did what they said or they kill you. Um, now, just for the record, I don't condone what the Nazis did. I'm just saying this was a very, very well done study. Now, what they found is that the people, their metabolisms did drop, but it dropped directly proportional to the amount of muscle they lost. So basically as these people got smaller and lost muscle, which is the most metabolically active tissue in your body, they, their metabolism decreased, right? It makes sense. Your body gets smaller, less energy demands, slower metabolism. So the number one problem people make is that when they're on a low-calorie diet, they're not on a properly structured low-calorie diet, they're not eating enough protein, and they're not weight training. And that's what happens with crash dieting, you know, so someone will follow this crazy cabbage soup diet or whatever, or these like um, cleanse diets where they, they do nothing but juice cleanses or whatever, because they're not getting any protein, they lose muscle mass. And then because they lose muscle mass, that slows their metabolism and their metabolism slow. So someone does a two week juice cleanse, they lose five pounds, but because they slowed their metabolism, when they go back to their regular way of eating, they gain back all that weight plus additional weight. So that's why it's so important when trying to lose body fat, you're making sure that you're weight training. Weight training is the most important thing what, when dieting to make sure you don't lose muscle or even build muscle. And then making sure your diet is properly set up. You don't want to be cutting calories too quick because that's going to put your body into starvation mode. But the main thing is making sure you're getting enough protein, spacing your protein evenly throughout the day so you have stable amino acid levels. Um, I am a fan of intermittent fasting and things like that, but if you're trying to aggressively lose body weight, that's not the best approach because you want a stable level of amino acids. 
so your body does not catabolize muscle tissue. If you want to intermittent fast, that works, but then just drink essential amino acids during your fast. So that's the problem with fasting is that, yes, it works and it does cause um, weight loss, but also cause muscle loss. So the best way to lose purely fat is to follow a low-calorie, high-protein diet and make sure you're weight training, and then also make sure you're not experiencing additional extra stress because your body's going to be under stress being in a calorie deficit. So try to sleep as much as possible. Try to minimize lifestyle stress, things like that. So Trevor brought up like real life things, but I'm going to bring up another real life thing on this and kind of take this topic a little differently. Homeostasis. Like, have you ever seen like a pro athlete, he'll blow out his knee, he'll be on crutches for six weeks, he'll be in a wheelchair for three months, and then the next season he comes back and has a monster season. What happened there? When I was a runner, this happened. Um, I used to run with a guy. This guy was an Iron Man. He went fucking to Hawaii. He did triathlons in Hawaii, these crazy triathlons, like all-day events. And I used to train with him, and he was, a, he was a hell of an athlete. He had been running since he was eight years old, okay? And he never missed – he'd run, like, every day since he was eight years old. Like, he was a sick human being. One day, he was playing flag football – and he broke his leg, okay? He broke his leg, had to go to an emergency room. Like, his bone was sticking out of his leg. So they had to do a surgery, whatever, and he was in a cast. So he was basically on crutches for months, okay? He couldn't run, okay, which was, I'm sure, for him miserable. So then once he started healing, he slowly started running again. Now, during this time, I was running still, okay? And as he was coming back from that injury – at one point we were even like we'd run together and he would be running as fast as he can. He'd run, you know, three miles as fast as he can. And I run three miles as fast as he can. We we'd come out at the same time, you know, but guess what happened? Like a month later, he was blowing me away. He ended up going back to where he was before the injury. And even though I was running just as much as him and pushing myself just as much as him, he, he ended up improving, even though he'd been on crutches for months and couldn't even walk. So what happened there? It's homeostasis. He had body memory. His body remembers that he could run a 5K in 16 minutes, and I can run a 5K in 20 minutes. So as much as I want to try, I can't compete against someone like that. He's been running since he was eight years old. So it, it is true. There is a body memory and, and, and muscle memory and fat memory and all that, all that stuff. It's homeostasis. So if you've been the same weight for 10 years, okay, you can't just run a calorie deficit diet and, and lose fat, okay? You may do that initially, but eventually homeostasis is going to bite you in the ass and you're just going to gain everything back. So the way to, to do that is you have to radically change your lifestyle. It takes a lot of different things. You got to use fasting protocols. You got to throw off your insulin resistance and in, you got to in, increase insulin sensitivity and all that good stuff. And on the flip side, if you're a skinny guy for the past 10 years, your skin and bones, you can't just eat in a surplus and gain quality muscle just by eating a little more food every day. It doesn't work like that either. You may gain some weight initially, but you're not going to gain quality weight. It's going to take a long-term effort of resistance training, weight training, um, eating more, like Trevor said, eating more protein, eating more healthy food. You can't just go and eat pizza and donuts every day. You're just going to get fat. 
So there is a method to the madness of both losing weight and gaining weight. It isn't as simple as just, yeah, I'm going to eat in a calorie surplus or I'm going to eat in a calorie deficit. It doesn't work in the real world. You're fighting a lot of different factors, including homeostasis and including genetics. Anything else you want to add, Trevor? Okay. One more thing. And this is, I see this so often. I see this so, so often. And this is eventually when people, you know, reach out to a coach like me for help is that if you've been overweight your entire life, if you've been, you know, let's say 15 plus body fat your entire life, dropping your calories, 300, dropping 300 calories per day, isn't going to do jack shit. You know what I mean? That would be like doing some push ups before bed every night. Like, are you really going to build a bunch of muscle doing that? No, you're not. Like if you actually want to change homeostasis, you actually have to push your body out of its comfort zone. So you really actually got to do something like that's the biggest mistake I see people make is like, Oh, I'm going to cut. I'm just going to add in 20 minutes of cardio per day. (laughs) You're going to lose weight at a snail's pace. I mean, three months are going to go by and you're going to lose like three pounds. So whether your goal is to build muscle whether your goal is to lose fat, actually take an aggressive approach to it. Like you actually have to shock the body and you have to get your body out of homeostasis. If you think removing half a cup of rice is going to, is going to get you shredded. It's not. If you think, you know, walking on the treadmill an extra 10 minutes after your workout is going to all of a sudden give you a six pack. It's not like you really got to change your lifestyle and change what you're doing now. Once you're lean, once you've developed a new homeostasis, then it's easy. Like I I have long-term clients who they came to me, they were really overweight. I got them on a pretty low calorie diet. We got them ripped and then we added in calories and now they're eating twice as many calories at half the body fat they were before. But that's because we got their homeostasis to this new low body fat. And then once their homeostasis is this new low body fat, their body wants to stay there and then you can add in calories. But in order to get your body to that new homeostasis, whether it's lose body fat, gain muscle, you have to push your body out of its comfort zone. Doing some push-ups before bed is not going to give you a great chest. Doing some sit-ups and walking on the treadmill for 10 minutes, that's not going to get you a six-pack. You actually got to get committed to whatever you want to accomplish. And here's one more thing. These transformations you guys see, don't get fooled by them. Like these shows like Biggest Loser and stuff, what they actually do is the people actually purposely just eat a bunch of McDonald's and shit and gain as much weight as they can. Then they go on the show and they lose a bunch of weight on the show because they gain all that weight on purpose before the show. So basically, they just went back. It, they it's just homeostasis. They gain a bunch of weight, then lost the bat. So it's easy to lose weight that you just gained, let's say in the past six months or a year, if you fell off the wagon, you know what I'm saying? But if you've been fat for the past 10 or 15 years, or let's say your whole life, you're 30 years old and you've been fat your whole life, ever since you were a kid, you can remember kids making fun of you in first grade for being fat. You're not just going to magically lose fat that easy. It is a big difference. It's just like type two diabetes, Trevor. People who, who become type 2 diabetes, is it's years of building an insulin resistance over time. And it gets to the point where your body can no longer produce, your pancreas can no longer produce insulin to drop your blood sugar down. So you become a type 2 diabetic and now you have to have medication to drop your 
your blood sugar down. It's, it's just the same thing. You're training your body to think that that's normal. It's all about training your body. So this is why using fasting protocols are very important and really radically changing. Like let's say you eat Chick-fil-A every day, boom, stop eating Chick-fil-A every day. That's a radical change that you can do that can really throw your body off homeostasis as a perfect example. So try to stop eating fast food. That could be your, your way to get out of homeostasis. Steve, All right, guys. Flight leaves at six a.m. and I haven't even started packing, so we got we got to pick up the last five topics. Yeah, we do. Um, blasting cruise. Um, tell me your thoughts on blasting cruise, Trevor. Have you ever done it, and would you recommend it? Okay, so blasting and cruising is when you never come off. So basically, what you do is you'd be on cycle for ten weeks, then you cruise on just your TRT dosage for ten weeks, you blast again. You basically alternate identical lengths of blasting and cruise. So if you blast 10 weeks, you cruise 10 weeks. If you blast 16 weeks, you cruise 16 weeks. Blasting and cruising should be a last resort. I would like someone to, you know, do typical cycles, run PCTs, take the proper time off as long as possible, if not indefinitely. Um, I really don't like the blasting and cruising thing because once you start blasting and cruising, you're going to be permanently shut down because you're never coming off. You're still going to be fully suppressed even when cruising. So, I really don't like it um, unless you're already on doctor prescribed TRT um, or let's say, you know, you're in your forties, you're done having kids. Um, you had a conversation with your wife, you're comfortable getting on TRT. Then you can go the blasting cruising route. But I see all these young guys in their twenties blasting and cruising. It's, it's just going to cause health issues later on down the road. Being on steroids year round, even if it's just a TRT dosage puts you at significantly elevated risk of cardiovascular diseases. I went on Dave Palumbo's um, RX muscle and I said that and he disagreed with me. Okay, here's the thing. When you're using exogenous hormones, you don't have that natural fluctuation of testosterone that your body naturally produces. A, a normal man, if you look at his testosterone, it's highest in the morning and then it decreases throughout the day. Now, if you're using exogenous testosterone, that doesn't happen, right? Because you're using, you're injecting a drug into your body and then that drug releases for that half-life on its own mechanism. So you're really playing God and you don't have the normal hormonal swings that a man should have. So I don't like blasting and cruising unless you're older um, and you've decided you want TRT. Last piece of my rant is when you're cruising, it should be just your testosterone and a low dose of a rheumatase inhibitor if you need it. If you're blasting on a bunch of gear and then you're cruising on test and provirin and a bunch of peptides, a bunch of SARMs, you're basically just running cycles nonstop. So if you're blasting and cruising, your cruise should be just your testosterone and then a low dose of rheumatase inhibitor if you require it. That's it. Steve? So next one, I'm going to take the next one because we are uh, low on time. Do I really need carb powders post-workout? So this is another question we get quite a bit on the forums. And I think that this little myth comes from um, – like the 90s and maybe 2000s, uh, guys using insulin post-workout. So they'll work out, then after workout, they'll stick themselves with some insulin. What happens when you stick yourself with insulin, obviously your body goes into shuttling mode, starts shuttling nutrients in, into the muscles and your blood sugar starts dropping. So the idea is you want to take you know, a protein shake right away and put carb powders in there to kind of offset the blood sugar because if you don't, you could get into serious trouble when it comes to low, low blood sugar. 
Um, I've used insulin before. I've never experienced problems with it. I wouldn't, um, obviously I don't recommend using insulin. Again, it was just something that I did because I had to write some articles on insulin. So it'd be kind of hypocritical to write articles about it and talk about it without actually trying it. But insulin is a stupid to use after workout unless you're like a pro bodybuilder, okay? So forget it. Um, using carb, no, no, we eat enough sugar in the North American diet. We're adding more sugar and uh, to our diet makes absolutely no sense. So absolutely not, guys. There's no reason why after a workout you should run over to the protein bar at, at the gym and tell the person, yeah, give me a protein shake and add some carb powder to it. There's absolutely no reason to be doing that. That is just the complete bro science that is derived from uh, bodybuilders who um, stick their ass with insulin after a workout. Let me, let, me say, let me say one thing about yeah. carb powders. Um, carb powders aren't inherently the devil. Um, most people have the goals of losing body fat. So if that's your goal, obviously using something like a carb powder, which isn't very satiating, wouldn't be the smartest idea. Um, I do use carb powders from time to time, but it's strictly just for convenience. Um, if I'm using a carb powder, it's because I fit in my wor- workout when I had a couple, a couple hours in between meetings and I'm racing to give a talk at the university or something. And I just simply don't have the time to sit down and eat a meal. I would always take the option of sitting down and eating a meal, but sometimes just due to schedule constraints, I will consume, you know, a vegan protein, some carb powder, maybe a greens, maybe throw some like chia seeds in there, chug that after my workout, go to whatever I have to do and then eat a solid food meal two to three hours after that. So I think carb powders, can be useful, but it's only if you have a very busy lifestyle and you're just using them for convenience. I I would never say a carb powder is better than food and there's nothing magic about it. So if if you have the opportunity, always eat real food. Have you ever had a chia pet? No, I haven't. I think I know what it is though, right? It's like, um, like gross hair, right? It grows like (laughs) gross grass. (laughs) But it looks like hair. It's like a little pet you buy. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You water it, it grows hair. It's like a pet. Just call it chia pet. You said you ate chia, chia seeds. Did you get it from a chia pet? If someone gave me a chia pet, I'd probably eat the seeds. <laughs> you'd probably eat the chia pet, right? You'd let the grass grow, then eat the, the grass. But that wouldn't be good, right? We can't, we can't digest grass as humans. We're not cows. So you'd probably just eat the seeds. That's what wheatgrass is, man. That'd just be chia grass. You could definitely, that'd, that'd be really good for you. You'd be sprouting the chia seeds. So, eat, okay. So that's Trevor's advice for the day. Eat, eat, eat chia, eat chia pets. Yeah. If you got a chia pet, don't, don't throw it out. Uh, throw it in chia, throw it in your <laughs> All right. Next card is favorite oral. So I'll give this one to you, uh, Trevor. Uh, you're into oral, I heard. So what's your favorite oral? Um, I think T-ball is really good. So, I mean, most people have heard of D-ball. D-ball is kind of like that classic Balkan steroid. The problem with D-ball is that it arimatizes into a methylated form of estrogen that's more powerful than regular estrogen. I think it's 1,7-methyl-estradiol is what it – I can't remember off the name of my head. But basically, D-ball arimatizes into a methylated form of estrogen. I because mean, D-ball has a four-hour half-life, it arimatizes so fast that even if you use an arimatase inhibitor, you can still get gynal from it. So – That's the issue with D-ball is that if you have any sort of estrogenic um, side effects, if you're prone to any of them, 
D-ball would be a terrible option. The nice thing about T-ball is that T-ball is similar to D-ball in effects, but it doesn't aromatize. So there's no worry about getting gyno. And then also there's no water retention. So I think T-ball is really nice. Um, Anavar would be another good option. The problem with Anavar is that in order to get an effective dosage, it gets really expensive. So most guys listening to this podcast probably haven't ran T-ball before. So I'd give that a try. That'd be my recommendation. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I'm a big fan of T-ball as well because the price, the effectiveness, it's, it's just a great one to use. It doesn't aromatize. Uh, side effects are very low. It's, it's really good. I mean, if you want to run like an oral oil cycle, run T-ball for like four to six weeks. I mean, it, it, it will, um, it's really nice. It's, it fits my goals perfectly. So the next one, guys, uh, we got 10 minutes left. So this is kind of be uh, the speed round here. Movies, shows you like and recommend. So Trevor, have you seen any movies lately that you can recommend? Honestly, man, I'd be like the worst person to ask about that. I mean, I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. My life is like, it's this. I mean, like after this, I'm going to go pack and then like take some melatonin and try to sleep. And then I'm going to be on a plane for 10 hours. Well, um, why don't you just sleep on the plane? You can't. Well, I got a layover. So it's uh, a two hour flight, yeah. two hours and then a four-hour flight. And you know how many people actually sleep in the airport and they miss their flight? A lot. Probably. Yeah. I can't sleep on planes, though, man. It's just, I just, I can never do it. It's really hard. There was a guy, he slept on the plane, and then when the plane arrived, he didn't, he didn't get off. He was so sound asleep, and they left him on the plane. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. That's you imagine terrible. waking up and it's like pitch dark and you're like sitting on the tarmac somewhere and you can't get off the plane. You're like locked in. So you I'm have gonna, to I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop his name. Um, I was flying with Dr. Bill. Um, this guy's like a doctor, right? And he, he's flown so many times before. I don't know what happened, but he fainted on the plane. I, like, I don't know if he just had low blood sugar or, or what was going on, but he faints on the plane. And then like, obviously like the stewardess are freaking out. So like the stewardess is like, oh, is this your first time flying? And like, 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 like totally like making, making a whole scene out of it when he was like totally fine. He was like super, super embarrassed. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things. Have you, are you a part of the million, uh, Mile High Club? What does that mean? You have sex on a plane? <laughs> so funny. Google it when we uh, stop the podcast. That you don't <laughs> it's like a club you pay a membership fee you can buy a high and you get like discounts like a play tickets and stuff where'd you get that from sex on a plane where'd that come it was from? like i thought there was like a corny joke like you like you go up to like a stewardess and say like hey you want to join the mile high club or something <laughs> oh my god you're sick you're sick man um i'll say one movie i watched what the hell um it's basically advocating vegan diets I don't really want to comment on it because I don't want to get flamed, but like it's literally modern day vegan propaganda. A lot of what they were talking about was not science backed. Correlation does not mean causation. So if, okay, there, there is a correlation between eating more red meat and having more cardiovascular diseases, but that's because the same type of people who are going to go out and eat a bunch of chicken wings are probably the same type of people who are going to wash that down with a bunch of beers. People who are vegan generally are doing yoga, doing marathons, going on runs, things like that. A perfect example is that in the summer, murder rates go up and ice cream sales also go up, right? Makes sense. It's hot outside, ice cream sales go up. 
it's hot outside, more people get in each other's way. Um, there's more street crime, things like that. So if, if correlation meant causation, that meant, that would mean ice cream causes murder, which obviously it doesn't, but that's what I'm just saying is like, you can't, you can't say correlation causes causation. So a lot of that stuff was super, super flawed. I thought it was an interesting movie and I, I agree. Most people would benefit eating more fruits and vegetables, eating more nuts and seeds. Um, but to say animal products are going to kill you, that is completely inaccurate. Um, a couple of movies that I saw, they're uh, both nominated. Roma, I don't know if you've heard of that, Trevor. It's on Netflix. No, what's it you about? See it. You love it, actually. And then Green Book, which is another, uh, that was the one that won Best Picture. So this is, those are really good. But it was overall pretty, a pretty weak year, I thought, with, with the Oscars. So um, I wasn't really impressed with too many of the movies. Um, I saw a couple of the um, nominees for foreign film. There was a Polish movie that I saw called... Um, Cold War, which is a love story. You'll like that, Trevor. See that with your girlfriend. And then there's another one called Copernom, which which was a, a really, really good movie. I thought that was actually the best foreign film, even though Roma won. So, so those were the movies that I've seen um, over the past year in, in the theater. So I'm a big movie fan when it comes to good quality movies. I love uh, to watch uh, great, great acting and stuff. So um, and our final topic is what to do after a second date if you aren't feeling chemistry. So we got a couple minutes left, Trevor. Have you, um, I, I take it because you're, everyone says you're good looking. I mean, I personally, you know, I'm not into guys, so, but I'm assuming you're good looking because you're a model and that Marnie girl seemed to be into you a lot for some reason. Dude, um, she, uh, she, she completely out. ignored me the whole uh, time. She was I, went, into- uh, I went on her podcast, hey. Oh, you went on her podcast too? Yeah. I, you got to send me that video. I got to watch that shit. That shit's funny. But <clears throat> I take it based on that, that you've turned a lot of women down in your life. Okay. How do you, what do you do after a second date? Let's say you go on a first date. You, you both have a good time. You go on a second date, but you're, you're not feeling it. How, do you let her, do you just ghost her or do you just, give her a friendly text or do you call her and be like, Hey, you know, I don't feel chemistry. What have you done uh, to turn on a girl? I actually, I actually don't go on very many dates, just really busy. Um, I'm kind of all over the place. Like I'm not really looking for a relationship right now, but I had one really, really good friend um, reach out to me and say she was interested in dating me. And then obviously being a close friend, I didn't want to wreck that relationship. So um, I said like, yeah, let's, let's, let's go for coffee. Went for coffee, went for a walk. And I basically just said, like, hey, I know I seem like I'd be a great guy to date. Like, I know on paper I check all the boxes. Like, I'm super generous. I'm a Christian. I'm friendly. But you wouldn't want to date me. Like, I'm, I'm always working. Right now I'm not committed to being in a relationship. Um, I'm, just, I'm just not there right now. So, like, I'm not saying no. I'm just saying, like, right now it's, it wouldn't be the right fit. And I'm just completely honest with everything. Didn't, didn't fake anything didn't and it was just it and it was great like we're still really good friends she's driving me to the airport tomorrow um i think she's actually seeing someone so i'm really happy for her but i think honesty is the best policy and, and just say like hey like we went on two dates like this is just this just isn't what i'm looking for um it's nothing to do with you it's just um whatever and then just just be honest um i think that's the best policy i think ghosting someone that's just really immature that's something you would do in maybe like elementary school it also just makes you look like a dick because then 
that girl is going to be like that guy I went on two dates with him. He never called me back with one asshole. And then she's just going to be talking negatively about you. So I would just be completely upright and honest with her. I always text the girl after a date and just like make sure she got home. Okay. And just touch base with her. Even if I don't intend on, on actually going out with her again, just because that's the gentlemanly thing to do. But honestly, like if I'm not interested, I ghost her. Like I just don't talk to her anymore. And I think that, you know, women are smart enough to know like, Hey, if the guy doesn't call me back or get back and touch me, reach out to me that he's not interested. So it's not really rocket science and women, you know, they're not going to build like an emotional attachment to you after just two dates. So, you know, that's, that's the way to do it. But like, you know, women kind of like, they like to call the guy and, and tell him, you know, this stuff over the phone but like, if you look back over your history, you'll notice that when girls have done that, it kind of pissed you off more. It's almost like you wish they would just not talk to you anymore. So, and I've been down that route and I'll tell you, women are not happy when you reject them like openly like that. They would rather you just disappear like you died than have you just like tell them. So. You know, I think that's probably better. Just, you know, be a gentleman and just don't reach out to her again. And she'll, she'll make the, she'll make the hit. I mean, she'll, she'll move on quick. Yeah. I don't know. I've always just been raised. Honesty is the best policy. That's kind of my opinion. Do you, um, so, um, Trevor, um, go ahead and email me your address. I'm going to send you a Chia pet for your birthday and then uh, you can eat it on the next podcast. My birthday, is, uh, my birthday is June 3rd, so if you want to send it to me um, in a couple months, that'd actually be pretty funny. I'll, I'll send be- you a moose uh, chia pet. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll name it Steve, and I'll grow it, and then once it's done, I'll uh, I'll harvest the chia grasses, and I'll add it into a smoothie, and uh, I'll uh, <laughs> you get You get huge, right? You'll get swole off the chia pet. It's That'd be like a new thing, like to eat chia pets. It's no different than wheatgrass. You know, it would actually be really healthy. Chia seeds are very, very healthy. So it would be a great thing to eat. The, 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 uh, let me say this, and then, uh, and then uh, we'll close up the show. The depressing thing is you think about most American children, the healthiest thing in their house, their chia pet, they're throwing in the garbage. You know what I mean? When, like, that's what they should be eating when all of those, like, gummy bears and ring pops, that's what they should be throwing in the garbage, not the chia pet. <laughs> that's a good point so yeah any uh any of these uh any parents listening if your kid has a chia pet um encourage your kid to harvest the chia pet when they're done playing with it and then you can take those chia grasses and then add it into a smoothie i bet if you add it into like pasta sauce or whatever you wouldn't even taste it what if so, it's not organic though uh we have to make sure it's an organic chia pet um even then like i think uh even conventionally grown chia, I don't think there's much seeds on it because I don't think uh, I don't think it's very susceptible susceptible to. Um, I don't know. I'd have to do some research. We're gonna become millionaires, GMO free and organic chia pets. Well, be- also, you gotta put on the label: uh, gluten free, keto friendly, um, paleo, uh, vegan friendly. Don't forget vegan friendly. Vegan friendly. Oprah endorsed. Doctor Oz approved. Um, yeah, I think that hits all of them. good manufacturing facilities, um, proprietary, non-proprietary blend. Yeah. And then made in the USA with a big USA flag and we're golden.
or Canada, people like Canada too, USA or Canada, either, either one would work for the North American market. We'll, back, we'll put a Quebec flag on there. Actually, um, I got an acceptance letter to McGill, so I might be moving to Montreal um, at the end of the year to start my PhD. So all the, all the French Canadian jokes might finally catch up to me. Yes. That's going to be a dream come true. You're, you're dead me and it happens. <laughs> so then, uh, then when you call me a French Canadian, it'll actually be, uh, be true. And then because I'll be living in Montreal, I'll actually probably pick up French pretty quick. So then we can actually, uh, have a legit French translator on this podcast. All right. Lots, lots, lots of things, like still, still lots of what ifs. I'm still debating between Vancouver and McGill because both UBC and McGill are really good schools. So lots of, lots of stuff to think about. But anyways, um, next podcast will be in about 10 days because I'm traveling, but, uh, we thank you guys for your loyalty. This is episode 251 for your host, Trevor Karitson, for my co-host, Steve Smee. This is another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life. Look good doing it. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.